Welcome back into another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by three wonderful guests who are all part of the New York stage and film. We have Eric Kuhn, who's the executive producer, Natalie Gerstein, the executive artistic producer, and Liz Carlson, the interim artistic director. And we're talking today about New York stage and film summer season, which is happening now through August 6th at Marist College, the Poughkeepsie, New York campus. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting newyorkstageandfilm.org. And I am so excited that we have these guests on today talking about this organization, talking about this season, because as you will learn, you probably actually know their work already. They've got their hands and their fingerprints on a lot of shows you might already know. So with that, Eric, Natalie, Liz, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. I am so thrilled to have you here. And as we were talking before, and we were kind of telling each other about who we are, I didn't realize just how involved New York Stage and Film is. And a lot of the things that I, I mean, I see every day or that I know of. So I want to start by having you all tell us a little bit about what NYSAF is. And why don't I start that with you, Liz? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, happily. Thanks. Thanks again for having us. So New York Stage and Film is a not-for-profit organization that has been developing new stories now for almost 40 years. This is our 38th summer season. And the majority of our work does happen during the summer up in Poughkeepsie, New York, during our summer season. We also serve stories throughout the rest of the year out of our home base in New York City. And Stage and Film was created very intentionally to be an incubated environment, to be a protected retreat from the literal and figurative noise of urban centers. So removed from New York City, removed from daily lies, removed from other jobs, from critical pressures, from commercial pressures. And when artists join us, they might be very early in their developmental phase with a new story. They might be years and years and years into it. And we provide space for residencies, readings, multi-week workshops where artists can ask big questions, try big things, be vulnerable in their process, perhaps discover what doesn't work about their story, discover surprisingly what does work about their story. Much of our work is shared publicly because, of course, this is a communal art form that is made communally, experienced communally. And so the audience experience is a big learning tool for them. And we don't allow reviews of any of our work, which is sometimes why we might fly a bit under the radar, because we want artists to be able to take those risks and know that it's not going to be career ending if what they ultimately show isn't the final version. We tell our artists not to finish, not to polish, not to think about product, but think about the process that they need to make their story grow and develop as it needs to. And yeah, to your point, we have developed over 38 years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories, plays, musicals, screenplays, TV shows. And we've had some pieces go on to, to great success. I think certainly the biggest one is, of course, Hamilton, which developed with us exactly 10 years ago in 2013. It was a play or a musical reading. It was only one act at that point. Act two had yet to be written. We also developed Bright Star, American Idiot, Head Over Heels, 
the humans, Taylor Mack did the first 12 hour stretch of the 24 hour history of popular music. The Wolves was a production with us before it went on to its off-Broadway run. Doubt, forget if I said that one, you know, so a, a lot of incredible stories have been seen in Poughkeepsie. I love that. So correct me if I'm wrong. This is just like one giant sandbox, essentially, for artists to play in, judgment-free, have have a field day in. So I love that. Eric, I want to ask you now, how did New York Stage and Film start 38 years ago? Oh, wow. Well, so I think, Andrew, for some context, this is a very new team that is leading New York Stage and Film. I think... Natalie, Liz, and I have come together about a month ago, a month or two ago. And Natalie and I are actually the the newbies. And Liz has been part of New York Stage and Film for for years and years and years. So how Liz, how many years? In and out for 15. My career started with New York Stage and Film, quite literally. I've worked here as a director many times, and I've been on the full-time producing team for the past seven and a half years and now leading it. And so, and so I, and so I say that Andrew for, for two reasons. First is you and this incredible podcast is getting the first exclusive interview of all three of us together. <laughs> and second, because Liz really knows much of the history of this, but what I will say is that there were a group of founding producers that came together nearly 40 years ago and had this vision and they are still involved today and leading it. And some of them are on the East coast, some of them are on the West coast, hence the stage and then the film. And it was their vision, but I, I think Liz might actually have more insight into, into the very, very founding story, even though she wasn't there for it. <laughs> I, you might no, know I, it better. What's not? <laughs> yeah. So Mark Lynn Baker, Max Mayer and Leslie Erdang are our three founders. They're all some version of a multi-hyphenate producer, director, writer, actor. And yeah, they had a vision in their career where they were saying, hey, the, these, these cities, LA, New York are feeling like pressure cookers where you, you make something and then it's immediately judged to your point before Andrew and something might die or a career might die. And so they said, we need to do something about this. And they thought about places that they could be within, you know, a stone's throw of New York City. And they found their way to Poughkeepsie to make space, yeah, for for artists to do exactly what we're doing now. And, and really the three founding, you know, tenants, I would say, are our process, which we certainly have figured out how to do. Community, we do this within large artistic communities. So it's not just one project at a time, but multiple projects developing side by side. And we have learned that, a whole lot of artists being vulnerable together actually makes for incredible process because they can lean on each other and learn from each other. And then education. We really deeply believe in the passing of knowledge. And it's not just like trickle down. It's actually in all directions. We think that regardless of where you are in your career, you can learn something from someone else. And so we have a big apprentice community and we really try to clash together everybody just to be like mix, talk, uplift, build community. Love that. This sounds incredible. This sounds like the exact organization that we've been looking for who are pushing art for art's sake, not for commercial sake, which theater needs now more than ever. That's how we're going to get these stories that really touch people and change the world, which nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Natalie, I want to bring you in on the conversation as the executive artistic producer, because I've got a question that's just kind of milling around in my head. How do shows come to New York Stage and Film? Is there a selection process uh, for like this summer season that we're having? And and what if there's if there are shows out there that want to be a part of NYSAF, how can they do that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a it's a complex web. So I'll give you a few examples. So we have, for example, a new program called Stories That Move. And it, for that program, we are developing an entire system where we're going to have an application, which will be released in the fall. And then we're going to have a committee that reviews those applications. And that's how we go through a whole selection process. So it can start from a really kind of structured process like that, or it can go to a more granular place where artists that we have a connection with come to to us and say, hey, I've been working on this or projects that we've been following or projects that might even be new to us come across one of our one of our desks. And so we have an entire reading system between multiple staff members where we're curating the season, putting things together. And it really spans, like I said, kind of structure and like, hey, this new project came up. Does it fit within what we're programming this season? I'll also ping with what Eric said that we are brand new. So we're kind of downloading everything we can this season. Both Eric and I are immersing ourselves in in Poughkeepsie, in the gorgeous Marist campus, in everything that New York Sage and Film is doing. So we're also in the process of learning all of those systems and structures. So Liz, also, if you want to jump in and give more context to what I'm saying, please, please feel free as our, as our long-term NYSAF torchbearer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seasons come together first and foremost based on need. We're a service organization for for stories and process. So the first question we say is, where are you? What do you need? And then we try to see if our resources are going to be supportive of them. And then we have this really beautiful task of building a tapestry every single season of of artists in different career places, in different places on the developmental trajectory. You think about the tone, the genre, the format, and then you try to bring together, you know, an experience in the whole. Now, how many seasons does NYSEF have? Is it just, you know, do you just have the one summer season? Because you mentioned that your base is here in New York City, but do you have any seasons while when you return back here to New York City? We have something we call our winter season, which is one week and it's like a slice of the summer. And that is similarly overlapping residencies and readings in New York City. And then we will do, you know, some readings and workshops throughout the year as well. The main, you know, central hub is certainly the summer. And then we curate the rest of the year based on what we know is in need of us. I love that. I want to ask all three of you this question. And it's what is the message or thought that you hope that audience members who attend this summer season take away from that this year? Yeah, I'll jump in on that one. I mean, one of my favorite things about New York Sage and Film is that in the same season, in the same week, you can have Dee O'Connell, who's like a theater legend, who's developing work next to someone who's a brand new writer, a brand new artist who's really dipping their toes in for the first time. And that is something that I hope that the audience walk away with as well, that we can have people who are like, oh, I know Hamilton. I know Dowd. I'm a, you know, a Broadway theater lover. And then we can also have Poughkeepsie locals. We can have people all along the Hudson, people who have never been to the theater, people who are really on all all points of where they are in their like introduction to theater. And we're bringing all those people into the same space to feel the same theater magic, to kind of fall in love with it all together. So that is something that I hope audiences walk away with. Love that. I think it just, you know, as we've been talking about all along and, and has been in the news recently, theater is still really important and developing theater is really important. And I think that the, I just hope that people come up and, and as we've been sort of saying all along, understand that theater takes time to develop and doesn't just pop out. And that 
it needs to be supported in the, and and also theater is not free so nonprofits like ourselves gives people and artists the opportunity to try and create and it can take many many years but it's it's really really important so i hope people see all the work that goes into it absolutely that is a great point and liz yeah, I think I'm probably resonating on on similar messages here where we like to say here it's okay to live in the messiness because that is often what process is. And I think that's actually what real life is, that the in-between, there's we, we all reach a final point, right? And ultimately these stories will all reach a final point, but it's actually the in-between where you're going to find the beauty and the lessons and the love. And so what I hope people can take away is that they are seeing something that is unfinished, but actually that's why it's the the final product that, that people ultimately get doesn't happen without all the messiness in between. And that our artists get a lot out of the audience coming to see it in its unfinished state, because you don't actually know how something is resonating unless it's in front of people who might ultimately, you know, go see it, not just an audience of your peers, but an audience of people who have no idea who you are. (laughs) Yes. Well, my final question for this first part is who do you all hope have access to this year's summer season of New York stage and film? And Eric, I actually want to start with you on that since you are the executive producer. So I hope everybody has access to this because I want everybody to be able to see how theater gets made. First and foremost, we always want artists to have access to it, to be involved in it, to think about coming up here and and discussing it or discussing their work with us. So we we are always open to, to having those conversations. We also love having artists in the audience because it's great to have their feedback and, and being part of the process. We have a thriving local community in upstate New York, right up the Hudson River. And we are always thrilled to have them be involved. Marist is obviously a college and has students and lots of students are in the audience. And that's great. We have this apprenticeship program. That's great. So so we, we want we want all of them to be a part of it. And we want you in New York City to get on the train, take a ride up the Hudson River. It's super easy, it's super convenient. And and we want you to come and see this work too before it comes into your backyard. And it's it's a great weekend trip. There's lots of beautiful hotels, but it's also a great day trip, especially if you want to, you know, spend just just take see the matinee, but you can see the evening show too and, and take a train ride back. It's it's super simple. If you don't want to take the train, you can drive. It's also about two hours. If you don't want to drive, you can Uber. It's also about 200 bucks. So if you don't want that, get in a helicopter. I don't know. But like, I hear Uber Blade flies up. That's a joke. That's a joke. Everyone stop. Okay. I hope this is that part. No. And, you know, so there's lots of easy ways. So, So we really want anyone who loves theater to come up. I love that. See Eric for all transportation options. He will get you there to Poughkeepsie one way or the other. I also... Yes, and and not to plug us, but on our website, NewYorkStagingFilm.org, we have all the available information about how to get up there. We have great restaurant lists. The food up there is amazing. There's great hotels. And so it's really a joy. That is a great tip. I love that. Natalie, what about you? Who do you hope have access to this year's summer season? 
Oh my goodness. Well, it's tough to follow Eric on this one because I think that list was perfectly comprehensive. I think what I'm what I'm excited about right now in this very moment is the partnership with Maris and the students that we get to work with. So I think that that collaboration has been incredible. The vibes are amazing. It's a newer partnership for us. And seeing their students get involved, seeing them get excited, listening to their feedback about how much they're learning and how much we learn from them. Like Liz said earlier, it kind of that learning is full circle. It goes it goes in all directions. So that's what I've been really loving is seeing those students kind of soaking up all of what what we have to offer as well. So yeah, that's what I'm, that's who I hope has more access to something that they otherwise really wouldn't or would have to travel quite a long way. See Eric's list of all the ways to travel (laughs) (laughs) to get to see this kind of work. Love that. And rounding us out, Liz, who do you help have access to this 38th season of NYSAF? I definitely would love to see more of the local Poughkeepsie community, you know, come in and and see our work. I think often summer theaters can feel like they kind of plop in and then leave a place. And we're making a lot of efforts, especially in the past many years, to make sure that Poughkeepsie feels like we are an integrated community. You know, the Marist campus is very easily accessible from from downtown, as Eric was saying, for all humans. We have a lot of accessible ticket options, especially for City of Poughkeepsie residents. And, you know, it's it's exceptional art in an exceptional art community. The Hudson Valley is filled with artists of all disciplines. And I was speaking with one of our assembly people yesterday, just about how saturated, you know, the, the Hudson Valley and Dutchess County in particular is, is with artists. And so I think we would love to see locals, both who who identify with arts and those who maybe don't come and check something out because it's it's there, it's accessible, it's, it's delightful, <laughs> and it's a really great community to be in. to change things up now for the second half of our interview let our listeners get to know the three of you a little bit better i want to start by asking all of you what or who inspires you what playwrights composers shows have inspired you in the past since you do do film we'll throw film in there as well or some of your favorites and natalie if i can start with you on this question totally yeah i mean the artists there's there's artists who inspire me who i've both worked with or who I've admired from afar. I think the people who are top of mind right now are contemporaries alongside me who have kind of risen, who we've all done theater together. So Julia Izumi is one. She just had a show called Regretfully So the Birds Are at Playwrights Horizons. C.A. Johnson had a show right in the pandemic called All the Natalie Portmans at MCC, which I was absolutely obsessed with. C. Julian Jimenez, Bruce and Thorne at Pipeline Theater Company. Yeah, a couple more. Jacqueline Backus. Oh, my God. Well, she had a show called, well, she's done Men on Boats, which has gone to a couple of different places. India Pale Ale, she's incredible. This, these are just shows that, like, have stuck with me for years after I've seen them. Like, Andrew Butler, Rap. Brickland, Adders Nova. I think my husband and I still talk about that show to this day. So shows that like plant a seed of something that's 
interesting or something that's happening in the world and then you keep coming back to it you keep thinking about it years later so those are those are the shows that inspire me great great list there eric what about you what are who inspires you so so a little bit of a, a little bit of background on on me before i tell you who inspires me i am so i sort of came late to theater in my career and i was an entrepreneur for many, many years. And so, and the other thing is I also split my time between New York and London. And I think one of the reasons why I was so attracted to New York City film is that is because I've I've spent a lot of time in all the nonprofits in London and the big buildings like like the National Theater is the biggest and and really sort of read the diaries and so forth of, of all the artistic directors. And I think to see and watch, and this is not a suck up thing, but to see and watch Liz every day, put together a program, run the business side of it, like it takes all sides of the brain. And I think there are so many incredible artistic directors around the world that have to navigate between the artistic side of things and the business side of things and the personnel side of things and and just running of a theater. And so and so what, now being able to, uh, Liz is someone who I've always admired, but now being able to go and, and work with her is, is super, super inspiring. And anyone who really runs a building, I think today inspires me in, in so many ways, because I think we are in this moment of great change and in this moment of flux and in this moment of, okay, what is theater right now, especially as these outside forces like AI are coming into it. And so anyone who's having that conversation every day ins- inspires me. Welcome. Love that. Liz, what or who inspires you? Well, now I feel obligated to say Eric Kunin and Natalie Gerstein, who do inspire me, but also <laughs> I, I've had such a, a privilege of working exclusively in new story development and really new play and musical development for the duration of my career. I I set off on a trajectory first to be a director and then found my way continually gravitating towards creative producing. And so I, I get to be facilitator of other people's processes, which is a huge responsibility that I do not take lightly. And it's constantly inspiring to watch artists do the impossible all the time. What we do, what they do is unforgiving and hard. When you say, I'm going to take humanity, dismantle it in some particular way and try to understand certain parts of it so I can put it together in some story that makes an impact. And the impact can be anything from, I want to move, I want to challenge, I want to bring joy, you know, and everything in between. And the I get really jazzed when I'm watching artists course through a process with, with great vulnerability and great sense of courage. And that often means that there's a lot of falling down as, as they bumble through it. And that's okay because you're only really going to learn in, in those moments. So, you know, I can think of examples like Brian Quijada and Nigel D. Robinson, who over the course of the pandemic, we worked with them to help them produce 12 tracks, one track a month of a thing they thought was maybe a concept album, or maybe they thought it was maybe a piece of musical theater. And then we did a musical workshop with them in 2021. And now that piece Mexicus is going to get produced at Baltimore Center Stage in collaboration with Mosaic Theater in DC, which like, so proud to watch that because it's like a live looped musical. And they were in the rehearsal room with, you know, this incredible sound design 
designer, Misha Fixel, and they were just like, how do we incorporate technology and liveness and storytelling all together? And like, they were figuring out this form as they went, or like, you know, Molly Beach Murphy and Gina Phillips and Annie Tipp, who are this like co-writer team of often very big, you know, political and social ideas in incredibly enjoyable formats or like Cesar Alvarez, who's constantly pushing what musical theater is and even has a piece that's trying to dismantle and understand and like be a love letter to being commissioned and writing a story or like Lisa Peterson and Adam Guan revisited a piece years ago that Lisa developed with David Bucknam in the early 1980s that was produced at New York Theater Workshop. And then sadly, David passed. This was um, Virginia Woolf's The Waves that they turned into a musical in the 80s. And they revisited it, you know, 30 years later, 25 years later with Adam Guan, because it's a life cycle story. So they started it in their 20s and then they revisited it in their 50s. And so something like that, I, I think, you know, to re-question something you initially thought. Just to speak to the film side, I think pretty much everything A24 is doing right now is very inspiring because they're taking this, this screen format and it feels very theatrical what they're doing with film between, of course, The Whale, which was a piece of theater and, you know, Everything Everywhere and Celine Song's movie that just came. I mean, like, there's just the, the quality of their storytelling is so exceptional. I don't know, I'm rambling, but I just like, there's so much to talk about. And I feel like I have kids and I can't say which kid is my favorite and I can't say which artist is most inspiring, but like, you know, <laughs> how much time do we have? Not that much. I'll <laughs> ask a new question. I love that. I want to ask you all now my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, I have lots of favorite theater memories. You know, many, many, many could include, you know, going to see the producers for my bar mitzvah with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, or even the very first show that I ever saw, which was Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane and Fifth Prince when I was, I think, five years old. And, and so I've, I have lots of theater memories. And I came to love theater in many ways because my parents just brought me to theater. They weren't in the industry at all, but, and my grandparents always brought them to theater and so, and, and all forms of performing arts. And so one day we were, it was, it was the summer and we were, I was, I was young and my parents, who we were in, we were on in vacation in Vermont. And my parents said, well, we found this, this theater and we're just going to drive to it and, and sort of see what we find there basically. And so we, uh, we they, uh, they, I don't know how they got tickets because I don't think there was like a website or maybe there was, I don't know. And we drove and we drove maybe for like an hour and a half and we were in the middle of a cow pasture and there was a barn and the lights were made out of tin cans, I kid you not. And, and inside this barn, you know, on this, on this like cow pasture, we saw anything goes. And the people that put it on gave the most amazing, they had the best energy, they gave it their all. And it was really kind of like this moment in my head of like what summer stock is and and like the fun of people coming together. And I sort of later found out like they were actually all kind of Broadway actors and they came to Vermont for the summer and they and they put the, you know, they came together as a team and, and just put on different shows and, and just sort of the fun of people coming together for the summer to entertain people and to have fun and to be a community. And I think that that was sort of 
my initial thought of like, oh, how, how fun could this be? And so to be doing this now for the summer, you know, not really in a, in a cow pasture, but certainly not in a city, although Poughkeepsie is a city, is, is so fun. And, and so I think that that's a, that's a memory that I think about a lot while hanging out in upstate New York. I love that. What a wonderful memory. Who would like to go next? It's so funny because my memory is actually terrible. And that's why I journal because I think I'm scared that I'm going to forget everything. But I have had this memory that just like has continued to pop back into my head recently. And I think it's because Sheldon Harnick recently passed away, the writer of Fiddler on the Roof. And I worked with him once in my career. And this memory just like keeps playing. It was such a sweet moment that I witnessed. So I was producing a tribute to Barbara Cook with James Lapine at Lincoln Center. And this is like many years ago when I was freelancing and kind of hopping around from place to place, meeting awesome artists and people. So Sheldon Harnick was, well, not performing, he was speaking that night. And he had another engagement. He had to leave really quickly. And he was already like into his 90s, getting older. And there were, you know, this is like Lincoln Center. They have everything that you need to make a show happen. We had lots of PAs and people running around. And James, the director, came to me and he was like, Nat, you... you must make sure that Sheldon gets on and off that stage. Like you you make sure that he does that safely. I'm, I need you to be the person to like hold his hand. And I was like, okay, it is absolutely my honor. So I like stood at the stage and, you know, held his hand as he got on, held his hand as he got off. And what I found so interesting was when we were in rehearsal, I was sitting with him and his wife and they were so sweet. And like, in my mind, again, like you talk about these theater legends and I was like, wow, you are just like, what a star, what an amazing human being that I get to be in the presence of. And he's sitting there with his wife, like super nervous about speaking and talking in front of people. I was like, wow, I can't believe that. So anyways, we get to the actual performance. I help him up on stage. Thankfully, nothing goes wrong. And he he has like, he gets a standing ovation the second he gets up there, of course. Like everyone knows who he is, loves him. He speaks so charmingly. He's so witty. He's so delightful. Everyone's laughing and loving him. I help him off the stage. I'm like holding his hand and making sure everything's good. Everything goes smoothly. And then because he had a, had a conflict that day, he had to leave like right after speaking. So my job was to take him backstage to meet his wife, walk him down this long hallway and get him to a car that was going to take him wherever he needed to go. So I'm going with him. We get back stage his wife is waiting there for him as soon as as soon as they see each other they literally hold hands like a newlywed couple I was like this is the sweetest thing and as they're walking away from the stage Sheldon Harnick turns to his wife and he says did I do good and his wife goes yeah yeah you did and that's it they walked off holding hands and I like I could cry thinking about like how long have they been married and how incredible was this man? He just got on and off the stage where he like had a standing ovation without even opening his mouth. Like he's so beloved. And he still comes off stage and turns to his wife and says, Did I do good? Like it was just so ah, uh, it was amazing. So I've been thinking about that a lot because he recently passed. And so that's kind of a magic theater memory that's been circling in my brain. Oh my gosh, that might be one of the cutest memories I've ever heard. Truly. My heart. (laughs) That was wonderful. Well, Liz. Now I have to follow that. (laughs) All of my greatest theater memories have happened in Poughkeepsie. And that's partially because I've spent almost every summer for the past 15 years (laughs) in Poughkeepsie. 
you know, everywhere from going into labor with my first child in the middle of the night of New York Station Film Housing about seven years ago, almost exactly, to, you know, being in the middle of a musical workshop that I was directing as before I, I came back as a full-time artistic team member and learning devastatingly that we needed to cut one of our favorite songs after like a, a public presentation and the team sitting there being like, this, we love this song, but it has no place in the story. And you, we kind of mourned it and grieved the song. And it remains one of our favorite songs of, of this piece that still has not found its way into anything, you know, that this group and I have made together to my very first summer, which frankly, I was, you know, the producing intern uh, 15 years ago. And I was in graduate school at the time in really not knowing how I wanted to navigate my career. And suddenly I was in this place that frankly, I really hadn't heard of before because I, I wasn't intending to have a career in theater. I found it very late in my education career, sort of stumbling my way through graduate school and in the earliest phases. And suddenly I was in Poughkeepsie where there was, you know, writers just out of school up through like, you know, Duncan Sheik and Steven Sater developing their musical of the time and, and you know, award winners, not award winners, yet to be knowns, very well knowns. And it didn't matter. And they were all sharing the same studios and breathing the same air and just as scared <laughs> as the other one. And I think what maybe all of us are resonating on is the fact that at its purest, you know, theater is the greatest example of how humanity wants to be connecting and communicating and resonating with one another. Where like feelings can be deeply felt and our humanness can be so authentically seen and I don't know. We just gain a deeper understanding and appreciation for this very brief existence that we all have. So I think either in this piece that you've seen or the fact of its location or the humans that were around it, when it can spark that like sense of reflection, I think that's when we're all succeeding best. And that's probably why they become our, our favorite memories of this, of this medium. I love that. I love all of your memories. These were all amazing. So thank you for sharing those. It's so wonderful. Are there any other productions or projects that NYSAF or maybe any of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Well, depending on when people are listening to this, we still have three weekends of, of presentations here in Poughkeepsie. This weekend, we've got a musical adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time. We've got a new play by called Soft Target by Emily Kazmarek. Next week, we have two plays that will be read, one by So Pendeb, who's actually a, a culture writer for the New York Times. This is his first play. It's the first time he's ever going to hear it out loud with actors, which is exciting. That's July 29th. Also on the 29th, Beth Henley will be reading one of her new plays. She's, you know, been with us for 13 of her projects, which is very exciting. And then the weekend of August 4th through 6th, we have a dance musical that uh, called Paradise Ballroom. This is a part of our new Stories That Move line of programming where we support dance musicals in process. And then Lawrence Fishburne will be sharing his one-man show like they do in the movies that he's writing and performing in that it was just announced was going to be a part of the inaugural season of the Perlman Art Center in New York City. So that's- Wow, that, that is a packed, <laughs> that is a packed season up there. That's incredible. 
Natalie or Eric, anything that you might want to plug in there? I I'm here for nice stuff all the time. So I'm plugging the same things that Liz is plugging. And I think it would be great to see folks who are listening, come out and lis- listen, see, be a part of nice off summer season. It flies by so fast. I know you're saying that it's such a packed season. Liz just named like half of it. <laughs> There's so much going on all the time and it happens in one month and then it's gone. So yeah, come visit us, visit us in Poughkeepsie. Well, finally, if our listeners want to get more information about the New York stage and film summer season or about maybe any of you they'd like to reach out to you possibly how can they do so well first and foremost go to new york stage and film.org i know it's a mouthful but i promise you'll get um, all the information there we are on all of the social medias we have a great email list to sign up for the latest information while much of our season is this you know in the summertime we do do things around around the year and so we would love to have you sign up, follow us, reach out to us, and I would I would start there. Well, Eric, Natalie, Liz, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me today and to share this wonderful summer season that's happening up in Poughkeepsie and all the incredible work that, that this organization's had its hands on and continues to help develop. So thank you all so much. Thanks thank for having you. us. My guests today have been the executive producer, Eric Kuhn, the executive artistic producer, Natalie Gerstein, and the interim artistic director, Liz Carlson. All of these amazing people are part of New York Stage and Film, who's holding their summer season now through August 6th at Marist College up in Poughkeepsie, New York, on their campus there. And tickets and more information for the summer season can be found at newyorkstageandfilm.org, which is also a great place to get more information about New York Stage and Film, to sign up for their email list, just to see all the incredible things that they're doing and they're involved in. That is a great place to go. You can also find them on social media at NYSAF. And we're going to have all this information posted on our social media post and episode description. But if you're looking for a great escape from the heat of the city... There's numerous ways to get up there to Poughkeepsie. Check out the New York stage and film summer season. If you find yourself in Poughkeepsie, make sure you check out these great shows up there. They're playing now through August 6th at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One thing the praises of If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.